Hey everyone, this is Tony. I'm the Dungeon Master for D&D Raw, and with me today are the following players. Hi, my name is Chris, and I play Auric Fireforge from Rumble Squad. Hi, my name is Adam, and I play Akiva Conchu from Sharpened Quill. Hi, my name is Nick, and I play Living Cromdell from Rumble Squad. And don't forget, you can find D&D Raw on all your favorite podcatchers. You could follow us on Twitter at RulesIsWritten, or you can email me directly at dm at dndraw.com. And feel free to join us on our Discord. We'll make sure to post the link in the description. Or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dndraw. So as a note, we are going to have spoilers for Sharpened Quill, episodes 1 through 12, and Rumble Squad, episodes 2-1 to 2-6. We'll also have the previouslys for both groups at the end of the recording, so stay tuned for that. All right, guys, so just as a note, we got a few questions, some higher level, like overall campaign stuff and some mechanic stuff. But overall, I was looking to see how you guys are feeling about Arc 2 throughout all this and what's been released so far. I know that there are a lot that's happened since the episodes that we've released. But yeah, let's uh, let's jump into this mailbag. So this first question I have will be uh, a bit of for Adam too, just on how you feel it went with the mystic class and having Bethany as a mystic. Um, and if you guys, Chris and Nick have any thoughts on the mystic class, but basically it's, uh, the question was, I would love to hear more about what it's like running the mystic and how you balance it. So seeing her skill set, one of the things I did looking at all the skills that the mystic had was finding ones that were too vague on stuff like duration or damage or ability and stuff like that and fine tune it or stuff that basically was repeated in other skills and uh, remove them or change them to help fit the class better. But um, Adam, as a player, seeing Belinda uh, and how her powers work, what are your thoughts on the Mystic class? Man, what a broken class. (laughs) (laughs) Straight up OP, yo. How broken jeez like we we experienced a lot more of the brokenness with with saria and part part of that was because of how she rolled her stats right because they were so good but at the same time stats can only take you so far if the abilities themselves are also quite broken and i believe the sheer level of versatility that belinda has is very very high and yet she deals more damage than most than every single one of us. She could probably <laughs> party wipe both Rumble Squad and Sir, uh, Sharp and Quill if we try to take her on, and she wasn't anywhere where we could touch her. So one of her abilities, her AOE, her she's got two. She's got her uh like psych psychic crush yeah. ability, which like can really just paralyze foes in a queue, but she's got the the one that's a wave mm-hmm. that just in the episode that was released, there was seven different paratons, which are these deer-bird hybrids. Mm-hmm. They have a deer's head, like with the antlers, on a giant bird's body. And in one round, she brought them all from full to zero with a single attack. Yeah. All seven. See, here's the thing. Mike and I are there to play as bait that we're the heavy hitters, so you pay more attention to us, and she can just kill you all. With Saria, part of it was like like all of her abilities were definitely f- combat focused and mm-hmm. all of that. But you're right, in a way, she, like the abilities were very broken. She could stealth better than the rogue Tor. She mm-hmm. could fight in some ways with her psionic attacks better than fighters and hit harder. Yep. She also had the, some of those ranged abilities, and as Belinda, she has those ranged abilities that can deal more damage than some casters because she chooses how many points she can spend on some of these. Yeah. And when when all else fails, she can just take control of the mini boss and end the fight. Thinking back to part one, yeah, she has yeah. abilities that let you just believe something she tells you yes. for a certain amount of time. And the one thing about it that does change it is, uh, unlike with like um, modify memory, you can't break it really, and they don't know it was her necessarily. There have been multiple times throughout the the campaign where I'm just like, man. I'm really happy she's on our side. And also, poor Tony. I have fun with it, though, because here's the thing. I know once the other psychics start coming into play, that changes everything. Yeah. 
So you guys came across a spellweaver, though, that was detecting your thoughts without anybody knowing. Yes. Uh, and I, I am interested to see Belinda put more, be more challenged. Because so far it's been kind of a clean sweep. I mean, in a way, she's making sure you guys don't die, but you were going to say- Very thankful. Don't get me wrong here. <laughs> very, very thankful. Because I like my boy, and I would like my boy to live. However, comma, very broken. Mm-hmm. So, um, just curious, who out of the serviceable plots team has never been brought to zero HP? Never? Yeah. Have any of us? Mike has. You have. I think I got, I think I've been down once. You have, and I believe Mike has once. Once. Once each. Um, partially because you guys avoid fights at all costs. And when we do fight, we are very efficient, I would say. And Belinda, with the least HP in the party, then therefore is the only current party member not to have been brought to zero. I believe that is true. I don't think she's been knocked unconscious. Specifically because Mike and I very much so know that is our downside. So we specifically throw ourselves into situations where we will be the target of aggression. Yeah, you put yourselves in the way of attacks against her. You make a point of it. We do. I'm trying to think because even in Rumble Squad... I think Orc is the only one that hasn't actually died. I'm trying to think if I've actually been dropped to zero as well. We protect Belinda because on top of all the brokenness, she is our healer. Part of it is Bethany made a point to be a support character. She is a support character, and yet. But also the the damage dealer. Although, to be fair, that's kind of like the weird role that Orc has found himself in, where... I'm the support character doing a lot of the healing, but at the same time, I'm doing a lot of the kind of damage-y AOE stuff. Yeah. You do a lot of chipping away. That's what uh, is good with yours. Through my experience with Belinda's Mystic class, I get what they were going for by trying to have each path kind of sort of sequester off different skills, you know, like... Belinda is supposed to technically just be the so- uh, support. Saria was definitely supposed to be the more combat focused. However, it's it, it wasn't a great job. There's way too many options. The fact that she can deal so much damage, has so much utility, can heal, can revive, can X, Y, Z. They didn't do enough of a good job, I feel, sequestering off different aspects of the path. I think part of it is... I've been able to tweak it and make it work within the campaign that I'm running. Yes. But stuff like Belinda has a revivify at zero cost. It's just it's just side points. That's crazy. That's the majority of our expenses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I I gave her a a power cost to using it instead of a monetary cost because none of her abilities require monetary cost they don't require materials because it's just her mind and it wouldn't make sense to add materials but i needed to have a drawback to using it yeah but that's something i added in rather than boop they're back at one oh i know that clerics can do this and revive people but um they have to spend 300 gold in diamonds and you just do it yeah or 500 if you want to do the the better version but she can't go higher than the the revivify version ah, yeah. okay so you gotta you gotta act within that minute, within the yes. moment. Yes. Which to me makes some sense. She's basically full on defibrillating. She is telling the person's brain, start the heart back. That is what her power is. Because like the way the psionics work, at least in, in my world and how I'm interpreting it, is when she is healing someone, she is telling that person's brain and body to heal faster or to circulate to those points. Or in the case of Revivify, like just start your heart before all of it like shuts down completely which is why it can't be the 10 day revival because brain brain's gone <laughs> yes <laughs> brain super dead but yeah any other thoughts on the mystic class and how you guys have seen it, it work who would win saria belinda or captain marvel <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, depends a little bit on the scenario. Yeah, it depends on the scenario. If Belinda, it, it's like Batman. If Belinda has prep time and she knows it's coming, more than likely oh, Belinda, if Belinda will has win. distance. Belinda wins. Yes. If Belinda, if basically, if you see if they see each other across the field, Belinda wins. That given also the addition of 
in terms of resources and everything, while yes, Saria has, you know, whatever she's doing. Oh, you mean in the actual, like at level 20 Saria? Level 20 Saria would wipe the floor with current Belinda. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, in this theoreticals, right? In, in terms of, if, if it's a straight on fight, yes, if she has range and everything like that, but also Belinda prepares. She has resources. Saria she... has her bow, though. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is how she killed Raleon. See, the, the the fact that neither of you have yet named a scenario where Captain Marvel wins kind of says it all, in my opinion. Well, here's the thing. Captain Marvel could keep Saria at bay with the level at, at the equivalent level to where Belinda is right now, mm-hmm. um, just because of the range issue. But is Captain Marvel immune to mental charming attacks? Uh, as far as I'm aware, no, because she did forget. Uh, her entire past and was manipulated mentally yeah so there is history where mental manipulation works on captain marvel yeah and i I guess my scenario should assume that uh they're all level 20 because i'm pretty sure captain marvel is 20 here's the thing i know bethany does not want to go level 20 psychic for belinda Hmm. so not being a level 20 psychic i don't know how belinda would do i think she would do still really really well yeah because it also depends on which one of the subclass multi-class she goes down i mean she she went down awakened for the psionic no not that one the other one which which one of the cleric subclasses it would be knowledge okay god of knowledge, knowledge. yeah yeah i was like i was like a dar but if belinda did go full psychic i still think belinda could win and again are they in a, if they're in an enclosed room i think saria wins yeah because saria's got her toppling shift abilities she's got all of her weaponry that she can enhance with powers she literally can has an ability that says i hit you roll to reduce see if you reduce the damage with a blade it's an ethereal strike it says it hits oh man roll for half wow so no like saria close space no problem even at some distance i'm not so certain one thing is if this is a three-way fight though and why i give belinda the edge on most of this Mental uh, manipulation to Captain Marvel. Yep. That's your enemy to Saria. Or I'm not here and have basically a two on one. And then once Mar- Captain Marvel's weakened, take out Captain Marvel. Mm. That's why I would give the the edge towards Belinda in most scenarios of a fight. Personally. But then again, I know her moveset a lot better than you guys. <laughs> and all these different things Belinda can do at level at level eight or nine. But yeah, I think that that's a good good wrap up point for that particular question. Yeah. The next question is which PC has the most secrets we as the audience don't know yet? Um and we can take this in two different ways and I I'm, I'm going to answer this question as well from a as a DM knowing that which player has and PC has secrets from the other PCs as well as which PC has some secrets that even they don't know about? There you go. I was like, <laughs> I know where hmm. that's going. <laughs> because both Adam and Mike built characters to allow for that scenario mm-hmm. where they have secrets. Because legitimately, Adam, you said, I have a patron I know nothing about. Do with him what you will. Also, he can mess with memories. Yes. But he's making a point of not doing that. Yes. He promised you he's not yes. going to. He promised. He promised. He promised. That, that was it. I'm, a, I'm holding him to his word. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he gets stuck under the mountain. And then Oric and Leuven, I mean, your backstories are fairly straightforward overall. You yeah. you have your path. You set up uh, for you, Oric. I know yours. You trained to be a cleric. Became cleric. You became a cleric. Then you saw the world was lacking clerics and decided to go out and promote your cleric and your business. Leuven, you had a very simple home life, a few skirmishes here and there. Overall, though, you were a genius amongst your family and uh, ventured out with Auric when you saw the opportunity. And you tell everyone your life story. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> Leuven has the most secrets. He's the shadiest character in all of D&D history. Who life stories more, Akiva or Leuven? Ooh, Hmm. Tony's the only one that can answer this because I don't remember who who life stories more. Who's like, here's my oh, life story. Who tells about the life story. Oh, 
Well, Lubin has all of his pen pals, so one could assume that they all know his life story. However, yeah, I much. tell people on the street. Yeah. In a way, if you said early on, true, I would probably say Akiva. Present, I would say Lubin. Yeah, you're right. I've had to be more shady. Um, as of present day, as of what's been released, because Lubin has really not met a lot of his pen pals yet. Yeah, but um, he certainly is entering the the with what's releasing now, uh, the part where he's starting to become a little more cautious about various aspects of life. Um, and I would say him meeting his pen pals is uh, is one big uh, point where perhaps some secrets will be discovered that he did not know about. When when, when I started talking to Tony about your character, Nick, I. Uh, well, once he pointed out that you just that that he he was basically like, "Hey, have you met these people, or are these just people you've written to?" I love that tie-in for you. That the, you these are just people you're writing to, and you've never met them. That is that makes it such an interesting time for him to mess with things, to change things. I, I feel it's a very very interesting tie-in. Oh, and he does. Oh, he does. Lubin will meet some pen pals. Yeah. yeah. And even the one pen pal I already have met, not counting, you know, my sister, the DM finds a way. <laughs> yeah, some pen pals are not always what they represent themselves to be either. Yes. Yep. There are always surprises with the pen pals. Um, even uh, Dahlia surprised you by arriving without telling you. Yeah. On my birthday. Fancy On your that. Birthday, which legitimately, I did not plan that. It just was the... At the start of the campaign, I asked every player to pick a either birthday or in Adam slash Akiva's case, if he wanted a birthday or the day he came onto the material plane and have that be like the important day in his life for, for that aspect. And it just so happened that on my calendar, as we were going through all of these different events during this particular downtime, as I was calculating how long it would take Dahlia to reach Rumble Squad, it happened to fall on Leuven's birthday. Surprise! Which was amazing, and I, I I loved that that coincidence. And also, I'll just say uh, to you, Adam, that I've been looking forward since basically the beginning of of the campaign uh, to when Luvin and Akiva can just hang out, just chill. Because I feel like the sheer amount of enthusiasm. Man, I mean, yes, if it was early Akiva, I would agree, but man, with things that have been going on, I would not be surprised if Akiva's like a an emotional husk. Is a jaded, world-weary Akiva these days. See, as time passes, yes, in a way Akiva's more careful with strangers, I think, than ever before. I don't know if Akiva is careful with people he knows. I can see that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, the way you approach Zolus, Darwin, not including the player characters, because, of course, his player characters, like, that is what it is. Yeah. But, like, Zolus, Darwin, Namoa, who is just a professor at Zuxiara's Academy of the Arcane that you're like, I know I told you my life story, but let me tell you about more of my life story <laughs> and my hopes and dreams and fears over Talori, my bestest of friends. Yes. Agreed. And I mean, granted, um, Leuven's whole thing, I think, uh, is trying to hold on to that part of himself. And uh, sometimes I think he'll succeed and sometimes maybe not so much. My goal for the purposes of your campaigns was to challenge your characters in their ideals, in their personalities, and have them face things that question what they value. And of course, have stuff that might try to kill you along the way. That's yeah. just a oh, given. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, might, might, might. <laughs> Sometimes it's capture, but overall, like I, I do enjoy seeing the difference in a lot of the characters, like how you guys were at the beginning versus how you are now and what's being released. Akiva's much more reserved with people and much less willing to deal with. I don't want to say snobbery because that's not quite right, but pettiness, pettiness pettiness has been like bothering akiva more and more considering like all the other stuff going on a hundred percent that's actually just adam's tiredness of it just leaking into akiva i'm <laughs> so over it see i know that's a thing and like with Luvin, like you've had people sort of betray you you've had surprises where like 
your trust has been shaken. So there's stuff out there that's continued to help develop and grow you to make you less likely to tell everybody everything or to just be completely honest. Yeah, and and to actively want to start learning how to be deceptive. And then even with Auric, like I know your faith in Yadamin has not been shaken. No. Like that has been a given. But like even some of your conversations, like, you know, maybe I should like even I was thinking with um Pummel Patrol, the conversation of like, do you just rely on Yadamin to do all the work for you? I know you're like, I'm gonna work on stuff myself. I have a forge here. I'm gonna build it myself. <laughs> that was a good dig. I still got my dwarven pride. Yep. So it's a little bit of like his old stubbornness, but like trying to see like how that develops and grows over time. I do enjoy seeing that with the different characters and how you guys get more comfortable with these characters. So I enjoy that kind of stuff. That's fun to me. But yes, as far as uh, which PC has the most secrets, we don't know yet. In terms of that the PC is aware of. Belinda, easy. Belinda. Easy. What? Hands down. She has secrets on secrets on secrets that have not been revealed. Not only in the podcast that have not been revealed, they have not yet. There is plenty that haven't been revealed to the players at where we are now. And here's the thing, actually. I don't know if Nick or Chris are aware of this. I, it's it's almost like an unspoken policy that we have in serviceable plots where we don't even ask Bethany about it because we want the reactions of when her secrets get uh, erupted up. To be like genuine surprise. To be genuine, yeah. Nice. We're gonna, okay, slight spoiler for something that's head. Uh, eventually, we will meet a character. I think he is there as a contact for one person. And it is not. It is a contact for Belinda instead. And it throws me for a loop, man. Yes, there are secrets on secrets on secrets. It's a whole thing with Belinda. As far as which PC has the most secrets that they don't know about. Mike, right? That they themselves? Yeah. Mike. Belinda is aware of most of her secrets. There's one or two she basically like said, like, hey, I don't know where mystic powers come from. Um, but Belinda, it's like, you can do with this what you will. Belinda believes her power came from a dar. Like, okay. Whether or not the case, I haven't revealed yet, but. But as far as Mike and Scriv go, it's actually just been revealed. All of a sudden, now it as a player, he talked about wanting to take the feat, uh, the language feat. Well, let's you learn three different new languages in the, one of the more recent episodes. But he said, hey, Tony, I have an idea. I don't, as Mike, want to know what these languages are. And I'm like, perfect. That fits into some backstory hidden stuff that I've been wanting to play with for. for yeah. Time. So it's revealed that... He, for some reason now, all of a sudden, knows Sylvan and Darakul. Ha. Huh. And he doesn't know what the third language is yet. Second mm. reveal? Have we, have, I, have we figured out what it is? No, you guys don't know what the third language is. Yeah, even now. Scriv is going to find out that he's secretly a wizard and can now talk to snakes. <laughs> <laughs> See, and, and here's one of the things that is the reason for this whole thing, with I think, with, with Scriv, is... It really works well with Mike and Tony that Mike is a person where he's like, hey, here's my backstory. Here's some knives that you can stab into my back and twist, right? Give me more. Stab more knives into me and twist them. Mike is here for Scriv to suffer. He wants Scriv to suffer and grow from it. Or just having an emotional breakdown as part of his growth. Maybe. One of Mike's endings for Scriv would be him lying in the rain dying bleeding out after a confrontation with his dad where he has to fight his own father and Mike would be so happy with that his ideal in that particular scenario is he just killed his father but yes. his father dealt a death blow that causes him to bleed out and die as the rain pours down on them yes wasn't the scenario also on a rooftop I think he mentioned yeah. part of the yes. top cliffside Somewhere high. May have been a monologue about tears in the rain. Yes. Something along those lines. <laughs> he would love that part. Absolutely. Actually, he did theorize for a while that he was, in fact, an automaton. Oh, yeah, he did. I told him flat out, no. Did he pitch the idea of, like, a magical homunculus, though? That's what he thought for himself, yes. Okay, well, there's a distinction between an automaton and a magical homunculus. Yes. 
he thought homunculus at one point. He's like, well, maybe not automaton, maybe homunculus. And I'm like, no, buddy. I always knew he was Cloud Ferrer. All uh, along. He was Cloud Ferrer 5.0. That's why he had such interesting writing when I pen paled my bird. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's there's still plenty of secrets for Mike slash Scriv. Many surprises. To quote him, he's here for it. He is here for it. Ha! I will say there might be some secrets, um, maybe not for Leuven specifically, but surrounding his pen pals, of course, and even perhaps something around his family. Who knows? And Oryx starting to delve into not necessarily his family, but there might be something with his old mentor. Hmm. But those are secrets for the future. And what about Dahlia? Dahlia, we haven't even delved into her backstory yet. She knows their secrets in her past. She knows about the fact that she is an ASMR. And her sister is studying to find out more about where they got their phoenix powers as a sorcerer and where the angelic bloodline comes from. Uh, I'm sorry, they? Her sister is also? Her sister is studying the history of things, of their family. She's got like four brothers and sisters. Uh, Where they got their powers. Yes. Her family members are also sorcerers. They might. Not all of them, but some of her siblings might be. Hmm. (laughs) I mean, they are siblings. Leuven didn't get that bloodline. <laughs> no, Leuven did not. It's too distant. Just, 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 a, just a couple times too removed, you know? And yes, audience, Leuven and, or rather, Nick and Rachel did legitimately talk about where exactly in this family tree they would be related and how many times removed and what kind of cousins they were. Rachel has actually built her side of the family tree already, names and all. I just yep. need to work on mine. This is legitimate. This is a thing. <laughs> but yeah. Any other thoughts on secrets from the PCs? Sharp Sharpened Quill is definitely more the secrets party than Rumble Squad Fair. So I've always thought I've always thought about it like this. And and I like it's no shade on either team. It's like there there is a clear distinct divide in the vibes of our different plays. You guys are very much a fun adventure. With just a, a a good time killing monsters and folks. We are very much let us suffer as a soap opera. And every one of us is here for it. I believe we have described as action adventure, rumble squad, drama, mystery, sharp and quill. Yes. Not that it's not mystery in both and some drama in both. But I think that's where we, we've described kind of the, the vibe of the two groups. Yes. So... <laughs> I, th- I like that we have kind of that, that distinctiveness, but it, it does lend to us having more secrets just because it lends to the overall, um, you know, ha, it's my evil twin brother. Come back to haunt me. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the variety, too. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's been good. I've been enjoying all of the secrets revealed and all the little details. I have fun with it. But all right. Uh, next question are we going to see any more of Elaine in the future? Currently, no, but that does not mean she's gone from the story. Whether or not she returns will depend a bit on what the party wants to do, as currently she is in the Regorum. Rumble Squad may be venturing forth out of the Regorum soon. But we we might actually go to the Regorum at some point, because Scriv is pushing for that. Yes. So it is entirely possible you will see more of Elaine in the future. But as of right now... Her journey is in the Regorum, away from Rumble Squad. And who knows, perhaps there are some methods of magical communication on occasion that can be used. Just call in, see how you're doing, catch up on the new trends. How's how's that training coming along? You know, the usual. For my Boulder's history NPC story, he may have commented that she has a small puddle she formed. On her way to forming that lake she wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Baby steps, man. Baby steps. Getting real close. So if you get too close, she'll uh, she'll hit you with a guppy for 1d4? She uses splash. It's super effective. (laughs) It does nothing. (laughs) Do you all have any canon one-shots planned? I have to answer this question a little vague, um, but... (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's pretty vague. That is so vague. Tony. That could that could mean anything, really. <laughs> probably, probably, probably that there's a squirrel, though. Yeah, or you got a package at the door, or someone's walking their dog. 
How dare they? <laughs> Anything's possible. <laughs> How dare they? So to answer the question, sort of. There are a couple of one-shots with these characters, uh, with some of the characters, that we have worked on for various reasons, either for scheduling things, uh, scheduling conflicts that we've had. But there are a couple of events that will be coming out eventually that I, I guess I would say are canon one-shots. So beyond a couple of things that we did record, there aren't specific canon one-shots planned, like not with new characters within the world or anything like that as of yet. Doesn't mean we might not do something like that, but right now, not really. How about this? I will live pitch an idea to you that I've been thinking about for a while, Tony. Do it. Uh, Dread. Dread, okay. Picture some Halloween special, probably not this year because COVID, but uh, a Halloween special Dread where everyone gets together and you're you're playing as civilians, just denizens of Orenthal during the Battle of Orenthal. Ooh. Or, or we're playing. Depends who DMs, but... You remember what Orenthal was like just one year later, right, guys? Yep. In fact, they would probably be denizens of the Low Hills. Hmm. You mean before it was just wrecked? Yeah, well, either Low Hills or Enclave Heights. I guess either works. How mean should we be? If you want to be meaner, it's the Low Hills. Works. That works then. They might know Daryl. I mean, Daryl might literally be fighting in the midst of all this. Actually, he would be. From what we had, Sildan, Saria... Tor all fought in the Battle of Orenthal. Mind you, to protect themselves and the people around them. Different places, but yeah, they're there. They were all there. It might even be that different players play someone from different districts and then all just come together somehow. Sadly, Kalima would not be at this fight. She'd be over in Meliamne. In the trenches. Doing her own thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could just say she was here, but that's not what we canonically have said. She'd be in the trenches with Sabaton playing in the background. Oh, you know, she has a sending stone to someone she knows in Orenthal. There, there's a cameo. We can, we can, we can make it work. <laughs> Honestly, it makes the most sense to have Antinua show up. And then, yes, that's why Kalima's there, because she's protecting Antinua. Because why not? <laughs> it's like, but it doesn't make sense for the story. Yeah, sure. It's D&D. Stuff happens. Just have fun with it, man. It's plot. There, there's teleportation. She's only here for a couple hours. We're not here with the the hardest of canon, okay? The most deadlocked canon. True. I try, but I don't want to, like, restrict it too much. We're not a team of, like, people triple-checking over every single piece of canon because we would like to have fun with it. But the non-canon hurts me, Adam. It hurts me. But if the non-canon truly hurts you, where did Shazam come from as a word? The, the lightning javelin activation code. Oh, did I come up with that one? Or Yes, you did. You yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. In world, where would the word Shazam even come from? It's magic, dude. You don't I argue with the magic words. <laughs> A wizard from the yeah. ancient past. One that embodied the powers of the gods. Which gods that spell the word Shazam? It might have been his name or something. I don't remember. <laughs> I actually don't think I have a any gods that have a a z an h an h i have a z but i don't have an h <laughs> i don't think and actually another way to unlock the powers of the orb from arc one uh would have just been to say open sesame so we, re we really missed out there ah oh, so many opportunities final question before we just kind of vamp for a bit and i think this leads into it pretty well is how many arcs in total does tony have planned i have three main arcs and three main storylines planned for the campaign. Right now, we're into Arc 2. Uh, still pretty early stages for the most part for both groups. But yeah, that's uh, with Arc 1 ending with each group facing off against a powerful enemy. But basically, my intention is each Arc end at the culmination of like a major event that's occurring. For Rumble Squad, it was a battle that would devastate some of the protective guardians of the Ragorum. The other Guardians maybe aren't so protective, uh, but they did happen to save Boulder, even if the fate of the Lady of Spirits is kind of gone. We hold hope, Tony. We hold out hope. Always hope. She just cannot be sensed. It's pretty bleak. 
Especially because there was a Shadar Kai that was uh, her attendant actually there to witness the death. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was just some some minion that they watched die. Yeah. Sure, minion, not important person. Yeah, there, there, there were there were like a million orcs there. Oh wait, no, no, no. It was a million. No, those ones were the orcs. We dealt with the. Uh, you dealt with the hobgoblins. 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 Yeah, that one was oh. us. Right. The orcs yeah. were the ancestral hearts that went after the Lady of Spirits. Right. Um, I was going to say, if you did go happen to choose the Lady of Spirits for whatever reason, Talori was not going to be there to help you because she was going to be busy witnessing the death. You mean she would have died anyway? No. She'd be going to watch Boulder. Hmm. It's a death in the regular. Basically. That's all you get. She's in the area. She just needs to go see the important death. Whichever one you chose, she wouldn't be there to help you. Actually, I think she was going to be going to do. Are we basically ironing that out as, you know, you kind of get vague instructions. It's going to be here at this time ish. Yes, I ironed that out after Rumble Squad chose, which (laughs) is 100% because that's why I like I kept her answer super vague, because, of course, in theory, saying who she is going to see die changes the outcome. True. So she would never actually say it. Now, what if we had split the party and tried to do both and somehow succeed? We wouldn't have succeeded. They would have both died. They would have both died. all have died. (laughs) Yeah. I know. You remember how hard of a fight that was, uh, Nick? You guys had it rough, dude. I, yeah, yeah, I think Luvin remembers. I edited that. That was, it was rough. It was a tough fight. I did not hold back on that fight. No, no, we we got the revivifies out for that one. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that fight was meant to be a sign of major change in the Rigorum, as then you have on uh, serviceable plots at the time, but now Sharp and Quill's side of things, you had a death of a demon lord. Mm-hmm. A major change within the confines of the Abyss, but also within the confines of the material plane, as undead were kind of everywhere for a while. Yep. Not that they still aren't, but, you know. They're still undead. But there are no more Deathlocks. Deathlocks no longer exist. Huh. Hmm. They were specifically bound to Tenebris. These guys suck. They're always knocking on your door like, hey, you want to join our death cult? It's like, dude, I've told you like five times. No. How many times are we going to have to infiltrate your stupid organization just to kill you all before you get the hint? I don't want to join your dumb death cult. Those are solicitors. Very, very recruity. But yeah, uh, my intention for Arc 2 is a very similar thing where the final confrontation will culminate in kind of what, what, what are the next steps? What's the next stage in the group's uh, journey? Yep. And then, of course, the final arc of the campaign will be the culmination of all of it. I mean, I basically I know you guys are starting to get bits and pieces of uh, as things are right now what that final confrontation is shaping up to look like. Yep. Tiny bits and pieces. Tiny, tiny bits and pieces. But bits and pieces. And of course, the further you get through the campaign and everything, the further along we go, the more clear the picture will be. The more terrifyingly clear. Terrifyingly clear. Basically, arc three is that point where it's the last save point, And it's like, if there's anything else you want to do, please do so before... But somehow we still end up saving all of our elixirs and never using them. Yeah. You know what? You save the rocket launcher still and you thought to yourself, you know what? What if there's another phase to this boss fight? It could be. It happens. It happens. 90s RPGs have taught me valuable lessons. This is true. Because there always is a bigger fish. It's not even its final form, man. Exactly. Anyways, those are all the questions we had planned. Um, Is there anything... So far, from what's been released, that you guys have as like a favorite event or something that happened. Uh, because for Rumble Squad, you guys went to the plane of Elemental Earth and then came back and had Essentheus on fire after doing a little bit of downtime. Whereas Sharp and Quill, you had the ball as well as getting the chance to meet someone, uh, very famous and, uh, going to the Temple of the Prime. I enjoyed the flail snails. <laughs> the flail snails. I wanted snails, something man. fun with you guys. I just wanted a fun fight. Like, no big threats. It's just the biggest, trickiest part was the fact that they, like, you can't really use magic on them. They, like, shriek when you hit them. Once they're reduced to, like, 
their final flail, they just like sh- sh- shriek. And you can't, you gotta feel, you feel bad for them, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not- I'm still hopeful of being able to find one of their shells at some point for uh, crafting. You purposes. want one of those so bad, so bad. But your man. charisma checks were so, so bad. bad. <laughs> Auric is not a charisma character. Now I'm just reliving um, Rachel's rendition of her name was Lola. She was a flail snail. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> this was a thing. I think I saved it for bonus content. For me, I, I think it had to be the the lightning cat fight and the realization of the of the con artist in Innocentius, because it just gave me a chance to write an angry to play and write an angry Luvin, which was a new thing. Yeah, that's very different for Luvin to be like that angry. Yeah, and and vindictive, really. We may have gotten a little petty at the end there, as far as uh. Making sure he could never pull the same thing again. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> I may still be playing him as petty with that. Like, I, I expect sometime in part three or something, I'm actually going to run into this guy again. It's going to be like, you ruined my life. You had it coming. He's going to be a beggar. Yep. Mm-hmm. Justice served. I got to say, I, I thoroughly enjoyed, like, the interactions back in Asentheos with you guys. Just overall kind of you guys getting to see these characters you hadn't seen in game for months in real life for like a year i thoroughly enjoyed like some of the the little bits and all that just as you fell back into some of these npcs i had my disciple yeah your little blacksmith disciple Mm-hmm. that's exactly what i was thinking but how about you adam for sharpened quill you know it's gotta be uh 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 Orlay. yep i expected that oh all back in arc one it's it's gotta. I mean, it was out of left field for it to go down the way it did. Yes. Do you have a favorite moment in arc two though? I gotta say, I liked Pasha Kiva. I thought he was funny. Pasha Kiva was interesting to play because as as a player, as Adam, I don't think much when I'm doing stuff. A hundred percent. Adam is small brain. He just kind of does things and hopes it works out for the best. Very much channels Akiva, right? So to have to actually stop and think, okay, how can I be the most posh, irritating high elf in this situation? It was was hard, man. Yeah, you had to think a lot more. It's actually really funny to me to hear that Akiva did that because I, I've always imagined this scenario as part of, you know, Leuven learning how to, to lie better, that there's a situation where he actually does have to pose as a high elf, basically use that part of his lineage and totally turn off the humbleness and, and the niceties. And see, I, I don't know if Leuven had the same reaction I did. I can imagine he kind of did where the whole time I'm being posh. But I'm hating every single person I'm talking to because they're just petty children. They're the worst, and I hate them so much. Since you bring that up about petty children, I know one of my favorite moments still. It's pronounced Ferandalan. I am the traversal expert. It's pronounced Uh, teleport yourself off the edge of a cliff, please. The most conceited, opinionated character I think I've ever played the worst and literally i i don't think he's on the actual like recording for more than a total of 10 minutes in the hours of episodes tony plays a lot of characters that are the worst i've noticed but this is the worst oh just in the in that under your skin like if i was a different character i'd just kill him i would murder this guy and what sucks is you did actually need him yeah he was necessary. He was important to the mission. It wasn't just one of those cartoon antagonists or, or rivals that gets embarrassed in the end. No, he, he was essential to the mission. Yep, yeah, so were we. The worst. But you found a way around it, fortunately. But anyways, I think that's uh, that's a good place to wrap it up, honestly. Thank you guys for joining me on this. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, these are always fun. Thanks. Thank you all for listening to this. Uh, We have a lot of fun discussing our characters and discussing the story, as well as, of course, playing the game itself. We're glad you guys are enjoying it, too. Uh, Stay tuned. We will have our previous leads for Sharp and Quill 
which will be followed right after by our previous leads for Rumble Squad. But until next time, bye. Bye-bye. Stay safe out there, adventurers. All right, everyone. So here is what's happened so far in Sharpened Quill. After acquiring the Blade of Tenebris and completing the ritual to destroy the Demon Lord, the party returned to the Material Plane and were able to enjoy a long rest within the Nathandom household and the hospitality of the Dawn Herald. Having made a name for themselves as Sharpened Quill, the party begin to expand their business and enjoy a bit of downtime as they talk to friends, allies, and do some research on the various tomes and the map that they recovered from Tenebris' library, they eventually decide that they need to go and visit an old friend. The party found clues as to Salvador's whereabouts, and finished their preparations for the ball and for the research that they were conducting on the various notes of Tenebris. As the day of the celebration over the victory of the Demon Lord comes closer, the party makes their final plans. The party finish their preparations for the ball with some games, a chat with Bai, and some fresh new haircuts before arriving at the Adamantine Palace as the group of Sharpened Quill is about to be introduced for the first time. Sharpened Quill begins to mingle with the partygoers during the events of the ball, trying to solve odd problems here and there and make more of a name for themselves among this esteemed clientele. Darwin approaches them, however, with news that he is attempting to make a play for head of his household, but his father, Favian, has claimed to have some blackmail information on him. The party decides to try a multi-prong approach to see how they can resolve Darwin's problem. As Sharp and Quill continue to help several other partygoers and members of staff, Favian reveals to Scriv that there are devilish machinations at play particularly in regards to the Zemyar. Recovering a few scrolls and the blackmail from Favian's office, Belinda starts to use her powers in order to explore Favian's memories and attempts to collect more information. After confirming that Darwin was safe to make a play for the head of his household, the party continued to complete jobs that they had during the evening, while Belinda and Scriv attempted to secure passage to Solana. Nissa and Akiva sought out two bards who both were vying for the same position as royal entertainer, while Scriv and Belinda tried to hunt down Rowan and find the source of his con. Both parties are led to the same noble, Karak Berdir. As the ball comes to a close, with Darwin named the new head of the Nathandom household, Sharp and Quill go for a nice long rest before having several meetings the next day. First, with their new employee Rowan, followed by a debrief for Thoven as to what they've learned from the library of Tenebris. The party speak with Thoven Arborshade and inform him of what they've learned from the books obtained in the library of Tenebris, and the various locations pointed out that were a part of the Zumyar Empire. Thoven fills them in with his own knowledge before promising to send them to Solana in order to look more into one of the places marked on Tenebris' map, the Temple of the Prime. As the party finish their final business in Orenthal, they prepare to meet Thovin the next day as they head out to Solana. The party arrived in the city of Ashmalin and began to explore the city, seeing the wonder of Solanan architecture, before arriving at the Shrine to Vladir. Searching the shrine, they eventually found a portal that took them into the Temple of the Prime, where it seemed more challenges were awaiting them. The party began the challenges in the Temple of the Prime and finished the challenge of Archon. They continued on and tested their knowledge and wisdom in the challenge of Adar before dealing with their own internal struggles with the challenge of Serdea. The party completed the fourth and final trial in the Temple of the Prime before meeting a spellweaver named Viendred. Viendred has guarded the knowledge here for many, many years, and after a long discussion on the Zumyar Empire and the imprisonment of Vodarum, he granted the party Starlight's gaze before allowing them safe passage out of the temple, and even allowing Dorahil, the cleric of Ladir, access to these ruins, where she may study and help guard the information with him. After a bit of shopping at Kuhn's Clocks and Curios, 
The party went to the travel agency, the flying carpet, and booked passage to Helimian on an airship known as the Galu. It is here Scriv learned of languages he had not known before, and discovered he understood not only Sylvan now, but also Darakul. Uncertain of what this could mean, the party boarded the airship and met its captain, Faroon Gan, before beginning their two-day trek across the skies. And now, here's what's happened so far in Arc 2 of Rumble Squad. As the party finished the battle against the Fortuneborn and his forces, and revived Leuven after he had been slain by the Fortuneborn himself, the party take inventory of the spoils of this conflict, and finally have a chance to rest, as Boulder prepares the portal to the plane of elemental earth. Rumble Squad gets a chance to relax, recover, and have a good bit of downtime. First, I did want to mention, due to Leuven having been killed, the party had a chance to recover after the long battle against the Fortuneborn, taking several weeks in order to craft, recover, and meet Leuven's cousin, Dahlia. They upgraded their equipment and themselves, in Leuven's case, as they prepared for Boulder to open the portal to the plane of Elemental Earth. As the portal's preparations come to a close, the party gather themselves and enjoy one final night before traveling to another plane of existence. Having completed their downtime, the party travels to the plane of Elemental Earth in order to acquire the soul of the Earth, an artifact Auric is hoping to use in the creation of a hammer for Yadumim. As they step through, the party encounters a dizzying array of caverns, as well as elemental beasts that come and attack them. The party continued their journey in the plane of elemental earth, and completed two of the three challenges necessary in order to meet Zaraton. Now as the party catch their breath, it is only the third and final challenge that awaits before they can acquire the soul of the earth. The party completed the final challenge in order to meet Zaraton and claim the soul of the earth. Finally arriving home from the plane of elemental earth, the party must now decide what to do next. As the party finished up a few downtime activities, they eventually noticed a huge column of smoke rising from the direction of Asenthias. Learning from one of his mysterious pen pals that Bai had left the town, Rumble Squad decides to head over as quickly as possible and try to put out whatever flames they could. Helping the townsfolk, the party learns of a mysterious savior, an angelic figure that seems to go around and help the town, immediately following catastrophic accidents. Deciding to investigate this figure, the party begin to head to the Big Child Inn. The party investigated the sources of the fires in Asenthias, and learned of two things. The first was this mysterious savior of Asenthias, an angelic figure, who seemed to appear immediately following a disaster. The second was a cat that seemed to be made of lightning. Deciding to follow up on the first, their investigation led them to head to the site of a fallen star, where they learned the savior was in fact an illusionist by the name of Thar. However, not too long into their interrogation of this Thar, the party was attacked by this lightning cat, and after a vicious battle, defeated it, and turned to face the illusionist.